You may be seated. Good. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we're looking to it because it reveals your will. It describes you and your love and your intention. It makes us aware of our sin and need for righteousness that is not our own, but that which comes as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. It stirs us to obedience. It convicts us of wrongdoing. It soothes our wounds and heals our pains. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. It is our desire today to hide your word in our heart that we may not sin against you. So reveal yourself and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'll remind you of a few things, beginning with some of our ministry needs. We are so privileged to host one of the most effective evangelism tools in reaching children and their families in upward soccer. Each year we host over 300 students. We've hit as high as about 350 in our enrollment before. We are expecting maybe 325 this year. One note first is that the enrollment discount ends today. So you can go online today and register for $10 less than it will be tomorrow. So I want you to know about that in registering your children or informing others who will be registering theirs to play. But one of the great needs is to support this ministry through prayer. So we need a hundred prayer partners. A hundred folks who will commit during the time of Upward to take the prayer guide that we will publish and put in your hands and to pray daily for that. And so you can take that bulletin insert and tear that off and say, hey, Make me a prayer partner for Upward, or you can contact us at the office, or let Wendy know, or Christetta know, because we need to undergird this ministry with the prayers of God's people for the salvation of the children and their families that we minister to. Also in our ministry need with Upward is we need coaches and assistant coaches. You're sitting there going, well, I know nothing about soccer. Well, as an assistant coach, you really don't need to know anything about soccer. And as a head coach, you only need to know a little bit. This is not a super high-level collegiate competition that we're going for the Olympics in. It is a great fellowship sport where we teach some fundamentals of soccer that you can learn along the way as you teach. We need 50 head coaches 50 assistant coaches. So we're recruiting for those right now. We also need service and support staff. So if you would like to be a part of that, again, let us know. You can email us. You can talk to Wendy or Christetta. They would be happy to talk with you about it. Wendy's out today with a sick child, or I would refer you to her. It's like, eh, today we got hit with everybody being out. And so uh, 
They called me to fill in for Landon and read the scriptures. They called me to fill in for Richard and do the announcements. They didn't ask me to do the children's sermon. So uh, <laughs> they figured that would be like a 30-minute thing. So I don't know. Here we go. So uh, let me mention one more thing coming up ministry-wise. I need you to write this down. I'd hoped to post it and forgot to put it in a slide in my outline. And that is the dates for this coming summer's Ecuador ministry. Our Ecuador ministry doing vacation Bible school, church planning, and discipleship will begin fly out, God willing, on July the 6th, and we will return, God willing, on the morning of Saturday, I think that's the 21st. I'm, I'm running from a little bit of memory here. I think I punched it in here in my outline, but I think it's the 21st. And so if you would be interested in that, you can pick up an application and a training manual uh, in in uh, the church office, Glenda has those on hand. Candy has those on hand. You can grab one of those. You can call or email. We'll be glad to explain. And then we'll be having an information meeting in the next couple of weeks to bring you up to date on that. So, my public service announcements are over. I want to give thanksgiving for the wonderful conference on spiritual disciplines put on by our collegiate ministry, Steve Mears, Landon Lingenfelter, Andrew Forrester, and all the folks that worked. I think Bailey and so many others were involved. It was fantastic. Nourished my heart and my soul and was a great time. This was a good weekend together as a church family. We'll be hosting another one in the near future. We'll be letting you know about that. We discussed Yesterday, some ideas about that. So, really delightful what God is doing. So, let's kick off today starting with just a quote from Randy Alcorn. And uh, here it is on screen. God comes right out and tells us why He gives us more money than we need. It's not so we can find more ways to spend it. It's not so we can indulge ourselves and spoil our children. It's not so we can insulate ourselves from needing God's provision. It's so we can give and give generously. When we kicked off in the beginning of January with our giving emphasis called grace giving, we discovered that we have a serious problem with money and possessions. And we found out from Matthew chapter 6 several things about ourselves and money. We found out that we can actually value the temporal now more than the eternal. So we end up laying up treasures temporally rather than eternally. And we get caught up in that sort of uh, hoarding for ourselves and uh, focusing on ourselves and this present age rather than eternity. We also found out that temporal treasures perish. We Heard that thieves break in and steal and stock markets crash and that rust and moth corrupt and that all that glitters can finally fade. And then when we're on our deathbed, we're usually not looking at our bank accounts. And so we learned that money has power to blind us. From Matthew 6, we found out that if our eye is bad, that it affects our whole being. So that if our eye is blind, our 
foot walks in darkness. Our hand operates in darkness. Our mind operates in darkness. And that money literally has the power to blind us. And Jesus told us that in Matthew 6. It also has the power to divert our love from God. That's why Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other or cling to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and stuff. So we also learned that the problem we have with money is that it'll create a lot of anxiety in our hearts, in our minds. And we'll worry. We'll get caught up in worry. And it'll steal our energy and divert our focus. We learned those things. And so Jesus, in teaching all of those turns and says, But you, followers of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. And so we learned that. Then the next week we found out, which was last Sunday, that there is a power that God gives us through the grace of the Lord Jesus to deliver us from our problem with money and possessions. That there is a work that God does in us so powerful that we can quit seeking the things of this earth and begin seeking the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. And so this week we're going to look at how grace produces in us something through our proper use of money and possessions. That grace actually produces something when by it, by grace, we properly use our money and possessions. And it's really astonishing what the Bible says about that. So let's jump in. Number one in our outline, grace fuels giving. Okay, grace fuels giving. I could stop there and and that would be enough. It would be beautiful. But in the examples that God gives us in the Bible, it seems that that giving is more than just giving. It's joyful. In other words, we're, we're, we're appreciative of grace. We're so happy that God saved us that it produces a different way of handling stuff than the rest of the world. That's a really exciting thing. Grace actually causes joy in giving. And that it's bountiful. It's not just stingy. It's not just a little. It's not like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 6 where they wanted to kind of give so they'd look good but hold back because in their hearts they were really stingy. It's bountiful. It's free. It's kind of this idea that it flows easily through us as God gives it to us. And it's sacrificial. It means that it we give at a level that's costly. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The lead word... For this section, listen to it in verse 1. Now, brethren, I wish to make known to you the grace. There it is. You're going to see it kind of three times today, but here it is, grace. It's grace. The thing that fueled the Macedonians' sacrificial, bountiful, joyful giving was grace. Grace of God. So here's the fuel. It says, Brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, listen, typically when we are under affliction, we pull our resources towards us. 
follow that. When we're in a bind, we hold on. We start talking about, uh, I'm in a bind, I, I, need to, I need to hold on to that. We start pulling things toward us when we're under affliction. We start drawing in the defenses. The Macedonians didn't. They did not let affliction scare them. Their hand in affliction was the same hand when there was an affliction. It was generous. So that in a great ordeal of affliction, it says, their abundance of joy, that's why I said the giving was joyful, their abundance of joy. The joy certainly wasn't from their circumstances. I'm afraid that the Christian church right now is prisoner to circumstance. And that we allow our situation to dictate our attitude. If our situation is sour, our attitude is sour. If our situation is harsh, our attitude is harsh. If our situation is dire, our demeanor is dire. These folks explain that grace has a power so overwhelming that it actually lifts you above your situation so that your emotion, your joy transcends, rises above what you're actually enduring. That's what's happening to these guys. That in a great ordeal of affliction, he uses three words to describe how hard their life was. He doesn't just say affliction. He doesn't just say ordeal. He doesn't just say great. He says a great ordeal of affliction. It means it was bad. And he says they were still joyful. And this joy was overflowing into something. Notice what it says. It overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That's where I get the word bountiful in the outline. Bountiful. It's liberal. Unfortunately, we've, we've politicized the word liberal. The idea of liberal giving is a fundamental biblical principle. It is how the believer should let things flow through him or her. Liberally. God liberally gives to us, we liberally give to others. And here, it's bountiful. So grace doesn't just fuel our giving. So that we're like, oh man, God's like leveraging the money out of my pocket. Preacher's talking. Let me get it out. I'm going to miss it. It's not like that. It's like... God, here, I am so thankful that you saved my soul. You shed the blood of your Son over me, and I can't help but be thankful and joyful. What do you want, God? Bountiful. It's not frugal. It's not stingy. It's bountiful. And Sacrificial. Notice, listen to how the level of sacrifice in verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability, that's not sacrificial. When you give according to your ability, that is not sacrificial. Can we check that off? When we give according to our ability, that's not sacrificial. Check that off. Alright? I just, we gotta register that. When we give according to our ability, it's what? 
Not sacrificial. But look at what it says. And beyond their ability. That means it ate into the pantry. It ate into the bank account. It ate into the savings. It ate into the reserves. It ate into their dinner table. So they had to live more leanly than they would have otherwise. So it's not just according to our ability. That's not sacrificial. That's skimming off the top. Remember Jesus telling the story and pointing out the widow that was sitting in the treasury giving her money and all these guys were passing by and gals were passing by and they were pouring money into the treasury so it clinked as it went in. That's why we had to put felt on the bottom of our offering plates in Baptist churches to hush the clinking. There's no other reason for it. Nobody feels the inside of the offering plate. Boy, that's plush. Must be a good church. They don't do that. Why? It stops the clinking. Why? Because of our pride. They were the clinkers. And they were dropping money in the treasury. And it's told that they had this great big metal funnel so that when they put it in, it would clink. And this little widow passes by. She drops in all she has, two small copper coins. And Jesus says, you guys watching? I know who you were watching. You weren't watching the widow. You were watching the clinkers because the clinkers look good in the eyes of men. Then Jesus said, they gave out of their excess. I want to tell you, I'm guilty of giving out of my excess. Are you hearing me? I'm confessing to you. I'm a clinker. And it's wrong. It's so easy to give out of our excess. It is. And it's so easy to feel good about it. It's easy to look good in it. Beyond their ability. Notice, they gave of their own accord. They didn't hear a sermon that made everybody feel all guilty, like, oh man, we're just horrible people. They just joyfully, bountifully, sacrificially gave. Randy Alcorn says this. Next slide, Lynn. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. If you've not read the book Money, Eternities, uh, Money Possessions in Eternity, it's a, it's a tremendous book. Tremendous. It's, it's really good. Number two, grace is, so if I've got this fuel that's going to fuel me to do this, where am I going to get it? Because it can't come from me. I don't have that. I'm I'm not the source of grace. Grace is from our Lord Jesus. Come, come to verse 8. He says, man, I'm not speaking this as a command, this giving thing from the Macedonians and that we need to get on board with. I'm not speaking as a command, Paul says, but it's proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love, for you know. I like that, for you know, verse 9, for you know. He, he's talking to Christians. Christians know the next phrase. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. We sing it. Amazing. How sweet 
the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This is the glorious thing that we sing of. This is Jesus. He says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So look in number two, grace is from our Lord Jesus Christ through His giving that was what? Joyful, bountiful, and sacrificial. These, these guys in Macedonia, they're just being like Jesus. That's all God's after in you. I'm going to give you the close of the sermon now. God just wants you to be like Jesus. That's it. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that Jesus... Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Jesus' giving wasn't stingy. It was joyful. He came in the joy of His Father's will to give Himself. His giving was bountiful. Could have gave you a planet. You could have got like Venus. But you'd die and go to hell as an owner of Venus. He could have given you a constellation. And you could have been the owner of a constellation. And the Lord and Master from which owner and Lord and Master of a constellation, you would bust hell wide open and spend eternity there. He could have given you earth, the whole earth. Nothing but the earth. It could have been yours. And you could, just like Satan, who thinks he owns the place, perish in hell. No. He didn't give you things that he can make in six days. He gave you himself. (laughs) Are we getting that? We're not redeemed with perishable things like flesh and blood and, 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 and precious jewels. No, we're redeemed with flesh and blood of the Lamb, the eternal Son of the living God. He is bountiful in His giving, and He's sacrificial. It wasn't that He could drop by your house and say, I'm here, I'm yours, and that'll fix you. No, He had to go to the cross to do it. It was sacrificial. He had to give all that He is for us. So this grace that fuels joyful, bountiful, and sacrificial giving isn't some inert force out there that we talk about in Star Wars. It is the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came joyfully, gave bountifully, died sacrificially. And by the way, He reigns eternally. (laughs) So, now the aim of where we're going. So we've got to get to this place that Paul wants us to get in these two great big chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll get part of it today, we'll get the other part next Sunday. But here, number three, grace produces the fruit of righteousness. Now think this through. When you read Romans... Chapter 8, we all nail 8.28. For God works all things together for... For what? Good. 
to those who love Him, to those who are the called according to His purpose. But 8.29 gives the purpose. It gives why the good is going on. It gives the end to which it says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His... Who knows it? Son. All that God's doing in Romans 8.28 is to fulfill Romans 8.29. What is that? To make you like His Son. To grow you into the very righteousness that He gives you. To turn you into the righteousness of the One who turned you. To make you in the likeness of the One who made you. This is called sanctification. It is the process whereby God plants the righteousness of Jesus in me at salvation as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. And then through that righteousness changes my whole being so that I become like Jesus. That is what he's going to do when he gives that golden chain in 830 The 8.30 passage in Romans 8 is this beautiful picture of those He foreknew, He predestined, those He predestined, He called, those He called, He justified, those He justified, He glorified. What does that mean? He made you like Jesus. God is glorified in making you like Jesus. You are glorified in becoming like Jesus. Here's God's strategy. To use grace to make you like Jesus. And the way He makes you like Jesus is to take the righteousness He's given you as a gift and turn it into action. Turn it into you being like Jesus. And the one thing that foremost describes Jesus and God is that He is a giver, not a taker. For God so loved the world that He gave. For we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for His sake, your sake, He became poor. He gave. And so, God's work in us is to take us and make us like Jesus. And so there's this incredible mystery that's revealed in this passage. It's not a mystery at all, but it's been mysterious to me for many years. I want to work it out with you today and leave it with you. Next week we'll pick it up. But man, I'm excited to explain it to you. In the work of grace, I want you to watch three times in 1 Corinthians 8. Watch me. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8. Verse 1, the grace of God to the churches of Macedonia. Verse 9, the grace of our Lord Jesus to us. And then, if we come down to chapter 9, watch what happens. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So we've got the Macedonian churches receiving grace and becoming givers. We've got Jesus Christ, by grace, being a giver. And now He's talking to us. What are you going to become by grace? And this is awesome. Watch what happens. When Jesus finished his warning in Matthew 6 about stuff, he said this, that instead of chasing after money and possessions in this earth and letting it blind you, 
letting it turn your heart from God. Letting it make you anxious and binding you up in fear. He said, do this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His, what? Righteousness. Then he said, all this stuff will be added to you. And so he gives us this quest. So letter A, righteousness is tied to seeking. You see, I come to God because I don't have righteousness to qualify to get me in heaven. I need a righteousness that's not my own. I'm a sinner. I've proved myself unrighteous. I am an unrighteous sinner. Therefore, I have no righteousness to offer God that sourced from me, that originates from me. So I come to God and I say, God, I have no righteousness, but I've heard that Jesus Christ, the righteous, died on the cross for my sins, was raised from the dead, and will give His righteousness to me so that I can stand before you accepted in His righteousness. And I, by faith, ask you to give it to me. I trust Jesus Christ. Bam! I am given righteousness. Immediately. The righteousness which comes from God through faith. I am now qualified to enter heaven. I am now justified to enter heaven. All because of Christ's righteousness. But that righteousness doesn't leave me where I am. It begins to form and shape me into the likeness of Christ. And the chief way that it does is how I deal with stuff. You're not going to believe this, but in the few times that God talks about your righteousness in a positive way. He talks about your righteousness in some negative ways. In Isaiah, we're told that our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. We've heard that. We've heard that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard Jesus say in Matthew 6 and 7, don't go parading your righteousness through your giving. Don't go parading it through your fasting. Don't go parading it through your praying. No, no, no. But in the few times he speaks positively about our righteousness, he always connects it to being generous and taking care of the poor. In the few times he mentions it positively, he connects it. He does so in Matthew 6. And then in Matthew 25, there's this passage where the end of time occurs and Jesus gathers everybody, all humanity. And He puts the sheep on His right, that's the true believers. He puts the goats on His left, that's the not true believers. And He speaks to those folks on His left and He says to them, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was sick, you didn't visit me. I was in prison, you didn't come to me. I was uh, uh, homeless and you didn't take me in. And they all said, well, if we'd have known it was you, we'd have let you in. Then he turns to the righteous. He says it. He turns to the righteous. And he says to the righteous, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you took me in. I was in prison. You visited me. I was sick. You took care of me. And the righteous say, when did we do that? And he says, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Jesus identifies righteousness 
with how our heart is changed towards stuff and people. Please hear this. Jesus identifies righteousness with how our hearts are changed towards stuff and people. When you go and you read the quote, come down to chapter 9, and this really messed me up. And I'm going to tell it to you, and then you're going to go, you're not a very good preacher, Bart. And I'm going to tell you, you're right. Because in all of my years of studying this passage, which I've done a lot and I've preached through this passage, when I got to verse 9, it says, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness abides forever. I thought it was logically talking about God. Right? But isn't that just, doesn't that follow? God's the example here. And, and so here I was thinking... All this time I've been reading this psalm in this text because I thought he was talking about God. And I thought it was just, hey, God's your example. He's the one who spreads abroad. He gives to the poor. God's righteousness abides forever. But guess what? It's not. It's not. It's not talking about God. It's talking about a man. Is talking about a man who fears the Lord. Is talking about a man that is revealed to us in Psalm 112, verse 9. It's a man who's known righteous because he loves the poor, the outcast, the sufferer, and he gives generously to them. That rocked me this week. Because all these years I thought, anytime the Bible brags on righteousness... It's God. So I'm hoping you're digging around in Psalms right now, checking on me, make sure I'm not lying to you. Okay? How many of you have gone to 112? Okay, good. I'm glad you're doing that. Check on me, because he's talking about the man who fears the Lord. It's crazy. What is going on here? God is revealing this thing to us. That the fruit of grace is righteous actions regarding people and stuff. The fruit of grace. Look at, I said it's tied to seeking. You've got to go after this. You've got to get it from Jesus first by faith. Seek His righteousness. Find where it's at. But then you seek, how does that live in me? So letter B is, is through sharing. Sharing is evidence of righteousness. Isaiah 48, 18 talks about the man who gives to the poor, gives to the needy, gives to the way that Jesus explains, and his righteousness shines forth like the dawn. Who shows him off? God does. In Matthew 6, there's this call to seek this. In Matthew 25, the righteous are known. Not by their church attendance, it says... Oh, we were at church and you attended. It doesn't say that. It says, I was hungry and you fed me. Now, what's interesting is Jesus is not giving a prescription for becoming righteous. Now, why do I mean that? The people who did it didn't even know that they were doing it. It just happened. They said, when did we do that? 
When did we do that? We weren't set up for that. We weren't running around going, hey, there's a homeless guy. If I give him something today, he might be Jesus in the least of these. I need to hand him something because he might be looking at me from outside my car and he's cold and I'm warm and I got some money and I'm going to give him some money. And then Jesus will say, I'm righteous. He doesn't know. It became such a pattern of the norm of life that nobody ever knew they were doing it. They just did. Generosity is the outflow of an experience of generosity where God is generous with us and it's just an outflow. It's incredible. How do I know that what I'm saying is true? (laughs) I hope you're thinking with me to go, Bart, you've put a case out here. Now, is there a punchline to it that you can say so I can go like, okay, I know Bart's talking about it. Here it is. Look in verse 10. This is it. And it's the third word, sowing. Look in verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. All right, now, here's what the prosperity people do. The prosperity gospel people say, oh, listen, this is how it works. You give a lot, and God's going to give you a lot of money back. Cast your bread on the waters! Yes! Hallelujah! Right there on the television, you know, and you're, you're pulled in real tight. And you're thinking, I could get rich giving. God is not interested in making you rich. He's not. God is interested in making you righteous. Look at what He does. Look. He says it. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Increase the harvest of your... What's it say? That's all God's interested in. You becoming like Jesus. Because that's fitting you for heaven, using you on earth, and it's the place of greatest joy for you. That's all he's doing. So your sowing is not so you can, I'm, I'm going to give ten today. And I heard God will give me tenfold. I'll get a hundred this week in the mail. And somebody will come and tell a story like that and we'll say, yeah, baby. No, God is not interested in making you rich. He's interested in making you righteous conforming you to the image of His Son. So your sowing is not to grow your wealth of money. It's to grow your wealth of righteousness. I grow my righteousness by being like Jesus with my stuff and being like Jesus toward people. I grow the righteousness I already have. I possess all of the righteousness of Jesus. But do I always live out all the righteousness of Jesus? Can I not get an amen there? Of course I don't. No, I don't. Do you live out all the righteousness of Jesus? Of course you don't. But He wants you to. And the place He wants you to sow is relationships with broken, sorrowful, pitiful, hurting, impoverished, lacking people and your willingness To impart to them from all of your abundance. That is sowing seed to increase. Notice the harvest of your righteousness. Now I want to give you a word that's working on me. (laughs) 
when 9-6 is revealed, verse 9, I mean verse 6 of chapter 9, go there, put your finger on it real quick. Remember, he's interested in growing your righteousness. So that's where he's headed when he talks about giving here. Now this I say to you, he who sows sparingly is going to reap what sparingly? Reap what? Righteousness. Sparingly. In other words, you cannot grow in righteousness and be stingy and greedy. You can't. It's impossible. He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, but he who sows generously is going to do what? Reap reap what generously? Righteousness. That's all God's interested in. But listen, the word sparingly. I want you to mark it. If you got red, use red. If you got a good, bright yellow crayon with you, use yellow. You need this one. Because what's coming with it. The New Testament word for sparingly means to hold back. That's what it means. It's what Ananias and Sapphira did. The word that was used there is called skimming. (laughs) It's great. You ever heard of somebody skimming the money? Yeah. Yeah. He was skimming off the deposits or he was skimming off of those. Yeah, that's bad. But in, in this passage, in, in 2 Corinthians, it says, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The word is used in Romans 8. Please go there because you need to mark this one too. It's the same exact identical word just used. In in the form necessary for the verse here. Same word. But it's in Romans 8. Go there. It is so good. Listen. Verse 31 of Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son. How will He not freely with Him give us all things? When God reached out to you, when God reached down to me, He did not do so sparingly. He did not Spare His own Son. It would have been cheaper for God to give me the universe. It would have been cheaper for God to give me the solar system. It would have been cheaper for God to give me the wealth of Solomon. But if He would have done that, He would have been holding back. He would have been spared. And so when God talks to us about giving righteously, He gives the Macedonians as a picture. But then He holds up Jesus Christ. And in Romans, He makes known this. But if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up 
for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Why are we worried? Why? So my question for you is this. Have you sought, are you seeking the righteousness of Jesus through faith in Him alone? It's the only way that what I'm talking about is even possible, and it's the only way you'll ever make it into heaven and be in the glory and joy of God for all of eternity and to sit with Him and bask in His presence and take in His glory. You must seek His righteousness and you can only have it by repentance from your sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Admission of your own unrighteousness and receiving His righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. You need to also know that the way it's revealed that that's happened to you is by your sharing. How you relate to others with your stuff. And that in this, God is working out a thing called sowing. And my final question is this. In light of God not sparing His own Son, could you call your giving not sparing? Could I call my giving? Not sparing. Now, I know everybody has to process this between them and the Lord. That's why in the New Testament we don't have a hard and fast rule of everything everybody ought to give. But all of us can go home and sit down before God and say, in light of God not sparing His own Son, do I give sparing? And therefore, is my growth stunted and am I reaping sparingly? Because I give sparingly. Would you bow with me? In sharing these things with you, I don't want to produce some kind of guilt-gut reaction. I don't want to do that. I want to produce a sincere, genuine reflection of our souls. So that we go home not in light of some kind of way that Bart said it or way that it produced some guilt feeling in you, know, but just to go home and to just sit with the Lord, sit with His Word, and say, Lord, here's me and here's my stuff and here's all these people in this world. <laughs> I want to not be a sparing giver. I want to give joyfully, bountifully, and sacrificially. Help me, God, deal with this. Maybe you'll start today at this altar on your knees as I need to be confessing that you're sparing giver. And in light of what he's done, you're just not there. And that you're not joyful. It's kind of grudging when you give. It's like, ah. Oh. And that you're not bountiful. Oh, yeah, you give, but it's not really flowing freely in a way that you know is impacting lives all over the globe for the cause of Christ. So I want to encourage you. I won't beat you up. I, this, this text has worn me out. But I just want you to go to Jesus today. Sit with Him. 
sit with his word and say, oh, Lord Jesus, I just want to be like you. I'm seeking. I'm sharing. And I'm sowing. As God works this in your heart, would you stand? Would you respond to him as he touches you? Would you come? Savior, say, Thy strength.